Friends and listeners, welcome back to the Woody Allen Retrospective Podcast, the mini-series or the ongoing series we call Woody Adjacent. This is a mini-project where we talk about side films, related films, films that interest us, that we kind of compare and contrast to Woody Allen or that we find some way to relate it to Woody's writings, the themes, the kind of movies, the kind of stories. We're continuing that theme. I love doing this with my co-host here, James Daniel Walsh. Welcome back. Always nice to be here. Always nice to have you. On the last recording, if you're watching this on YouTube, I will put a link on the screen. You'll see the picture of the last thing we spoke about. James, what was the last thing we spoke about? The last movie we spoke about was Bliss. Bliss. Oh yeah, how can I forget? That was my pick. <laughs> and I just want to say, as always, and I don't always bring this up, I was reached out by about three or four different people, including a fan that I, that got in touch with the cast and started telling me behind the scenes things. And James, I, I, I completely forgot to share this with you. I think he even shared me some X-rated pictures that was related to the movie that I found it very interesting. And it was all tasteful. It was related to the movie and i love it when people reach out and share more information on the movies especially when we pull movies out of our ass you know yeah. movies that no one's even seen or heard of before and then you know you guys listening have some outside information to illuminate us and make it an even more rounded conversation thank you so much and i feel even more justified for picking the movie because people saw it they also enjoyed it and yeah it was a great conversation james thank you for making me love that movie even more than I already did. Well, thank you for introducing me to Terrence Stamp saying the word come. <laughs> James, you have to ejaculate, ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about your pick. And if you guys, you guys already know, we teased a little surprise, but you can already see it in the title. James, why don't you tell the people what our special episode is going to be about? Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the 2000 movie High Fidelity, directed by Stephen Frears and starring John Cusack and Jack Black in his first big role. That is perfectly right. And you might as well just say, we'll, we'll touch on this later, but what are we going to be talking about a bit later after the movie? We are going to be talking about the High Fidelity remake, the TV show that came out, I think it was last year. Yeah, 2020. Um, starring uh, Zoe Kravitz. That's right. We're going to talk about both. I, I just think it's a great opportunity to see the evolution of the the material. The writer is a producer. The write the book. The, this is based. These movies and stories are based off the original novel. And the writer Jack Hornby. Um, sorry, Jack Hornby. Why is that? Nick Hornby had a producer role in both of these productions, so he's heavily involved. So we're gonna again first start talking about the first movie so james take it away give us the premise and i want to hear how um, you feel about the original 2000 movie high fidelity i loved the original 2000 movie high fidelity it came out when i was 20 and it was a movie that uh i immediately connected with and i have you know it's been going on 22 years since that movie came out and i always tell everyone especially women if you ever want to watch a movie and understand what goes on inside a guy's head, High Fidelity is the movie that you watch. And uh, it's John Cusack plays a character named Rob who owns a record store. And it is 
him trying to figure out why his relationships always end disastrously. Pretty much. Um, I usually go first, but tell us more about how you connected with this movie, why this movie is so, you know, close to your heart. And I've seen online so many people worshipping this movie. I already knew from watching this movie the first time that it was a loved movie, it was a good movie. Um, yeah, let me hear about your experience with the movie before I come and rain all over your parade and tell you why I hate this movie. <laughs> uh, it came out when I was 20 and insecure and just had my heart broken. And I just, I understood what was happening in it on an emotional level. I, I understood every terrible decision that John Cusack makes in the movie. I understood, I, I had those kind of friends where, you know, they sometimes drive you crazy and they sometimes are, you know, a bit obnoxious, but uh, in the at the end of the day, they're good friends. And um, yeah, it was just the, the I, I just felt like I understood that character on a really deep level. And he would have been so much older than me at the time, probably mid thirties, but um, it was the, not the first, I would say the other movie that I always make this, that comparison to is Swingers, where I watched it and I was like, I get this. It's like an, it's like an in joke for guys. It's like, this is what we do. The good stuff, the bad stuff, uh, the things we don't want anybody to know we actually think. And yeah, it just, it, it I, I, I was completely broken poor when this movie came out and I still managed to go see it three times in the theater. Wow. So can I ask you, did you read the novel before you saw the movie or the movie before after what, 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 i actually read the novel a few years later and it's pretty much it's it's identical other than some of the music references are changed and obviously the the novel is set in england so there's some british slang that uh is changed from the way it, it comes out in the you know american movie but sure otherwise it was pretty spot on well, can I ask you then, you know, you talk about how connected you are with this movie, this story. Did you feel that way when you read the book? And was you anticipating this movie to come out because of that? Or was the book good? And then when you saw the movie and you visually saw that character and you, you know, that's what they say about, you know, movies. They can really actualize, bring to life the characters in the page. Do you feel the book did that on its own or did the movie really take that script up to that next level for you? Yeah, it's, that's hard to say because I, I read the book after I saw the movie. Oh, I guess I, I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I, I was trying to sort of put the movie out of my head, but because it was so, our book was so close to the movie, uh, it was impossible not to just see John Cusack. I must have misheard you. I must, my brain must have got rewired because I thought you said you read the book first. It, well, well, you know what? That is cool. Um and the book is made by Nick Hornby. He's a British author. As you mentioned, there's been, there was some translation stuff to make it fit. Now, I'll jump in and say, 
when the first I, I there was a lot of acclaim to this movie I, I watched this movie about a year after it came out i heard how great it was a beloved movie and i could clearly remember after watching it for the first time thinking it was a good movie but i hate the main character and i don't understand the reverence to an extent i felt like i kind of got it like you know the music and being an underdog and like an indie movie but for some reason i thought is it really that good so re-watching it now i thought to, i just remember hating john cusack's character like this guy is immature this oh. guy is just stuck in his ways and you know he just seems very very um waspish very oh. very that's what i remember so i re-watched it again recently and the movie was more funny to me this time around because he seems a bit like a grump mm-hmm. but because like he, he's trying to use the music and this five-step thing of going back using you know best five top albums five top girlfriends all of these things it's amusing to me but i still can't stand the character because he's so immature yeah and i just after that i kept on thinking why do people love this movie because it's a it's a funny enough movie jack black's great um just uh, look, I love nineties movies. I love, and I know it's the two thousands, but I'll call it a nineties movie because it looks Ooh. like a nineties movie. It just it wasn't hasn't... made in the nineties, yeah. Technically, so. Yeah, production wise, I guess it was made and it was released in two thousands. But everything about this movie, from an aesthetic level, is candy for me. John Ooh. Cusack, and, and in terms of acting, him playing that character is amazing. I mean, he plays that character. He embodies this character perfectly. To be honest with you. I actually thought this character was John Cusack's personality moving forward for such a long time, even though I'd seen movies like Gross Point Blank and Con Air and Serendipity. But I always just remember, no, you're really like this asshole in, in, yeah. in High Fidelity. But I just, because I was such a big fan of rom-coms, I just thought, I don't think this movie, like you, you said this in the beginning that women should watch this movie to get an idea of a man's mind. I thought, I agree with that. But then I think, but this guy's a real immature arsehole. So Ooh. yeah, they're showing you things about men, they're superficial, they're horny, and but at the same time, I feel like this guy's a real Grinch. This guy this, so I was really surprised. To this day, people love this movie when I kind of think this guy's just a kind of a dick. And as for the characters he works around, they're they're all, you know, elitists. And yeah. I just want to say that I'm not saying that you have to enjoy a character love a story. You know, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is House MD. The asshole doctor, Hugh Laurie, is a fucking asshole. He treats his patients like shit, but the actor's great. And when an actor can encompass a character so well, you love him for it. So I don't not like this movie, not because he's an asshole, but for some reason, I'm I, the reverence for this movie is kind of like, is it a music thing? Is it... I, I'm a little bit lost because to me, this is just an okay movie. It's kind of a quirky movie to me. But as you said, for someone who can really like relate to the struggle, the heartbreak, which I guess I can't. I've I got to be honest. I can't, I can't even say I have, you know, five long-term girlfriends that destroyed me in, in this way, which is fun to watch. But if you can't relate, I guess you're a little bit detached. So in a way... I wish I loved this movie as much as everybody else, but 
looking back on it now, it's a, it's a 90s movie, it's a quirky movie, and I, I don't want to, I can't really criticise it, because I think it's fun. It's funny, oh. it's fun, good music, love the 90s theme to it. The reverence is a little bit lost on me, though. Well, I think the thing, too, is, I mean, you're you're exactly right about the character being immature. You're exactly right about he and his friends being elitists. And that's why it was interesting, because I did, I, I read a few things about the movie before we started talking about it and about the show. And I, I found that there was a common kind of criticism looking back on it of toxic masculinity. But the thing is, the movie acknowledges that the way he's behaving is wrong, that he needs to grow up. He needs to, you know, the, the whole like trying to break everything down into a top five and trying to, uh, you know, this is why, you know, this song is the most important thing in the world, or this is why this movie is uh, more important than anything. I mean, guys tend to do that a lot. And you know some will do it about music i've got friends who will do it about comics or video games or yeah uh all sorts of different i've got i've got one friend who you know every time i say that i'm not gonna you know he's he's excited to see some movie and i'll say oh yeah i'm not really interested he just he's like what what how can you you know and it's like loses his mind like i'm betraying him yeah so i identified with all of that but i i identified with this guy who kind of couldn't take responsibility for his part in these things. And as the story's going along, he's realizing like, okay, yeah, this, this girl that I was with, she was, she was kind of crazy, but I contributed to it in this way. Or yeah, this woman I was with was horrible, but I'm the one who chose to be with her because she, she was beautiful. And he's by the end of the movie, grown up a little bit not completely but he has grown up a little bit and he's matured and he's you know looking at at how to be a good man for for his girlfriend in a way that doesn't change who he is it's not one of these movies where by the end he is completely pussy whipped yeah and you know he's just y'all you know, i'm not going to listen to music anymore because yeah i get it the, the, all my all the stuff that i like is stupid he still loves the stuff that he loves he's just trying to figure out the best way to let his girlfriend be a part of it in her own way all the stuff you say is right it's true he's he's awful but that's why like i i said i think women who want to understand men can watch this because it's not a flattering portrayal of men it's not he's not uh the coolest guy in the world he just thinks he's the coolest guy in the world and that's what i've been reading because i really there's so many articles dissecting this movie going into my research i thought does this movie warrant such think tanks such like but the more i read why people appreciate the movie is basically what you're saying it's unabashedly raw and this character is an arsehole. And like, just like you said, by the end, he isn't even fully redeemed. I mean, the scene that, to me, and this is the thing I like about the movie, and the right, I think the writer is really good here, where he doesn't completely redeem this guy. Not even like 75%. The guy is an arsehole, even at the end of the movie. The two scenes that really bothered me, one scene in particular, it wasn't, I think, 
there's a little bait and switch in this movie where he's obviously done something wrong where the movie doesn't really tell you about and then you find out mid-movie that a series of things happened and then they frame it like he's a complete over-the-top arsehole he cheated on his girlfriend and she had an abortion and it's like wow i don't even remember this but then about five minutes later when he explains the context it's like oh actually when you look at it in context it's not that crazy which i appreciated about the writing because then i didn't want to get ahead of myself because i was thinking i couldn't remember this guy being this much more arsehole but when they explain the context of how he cheated they were on a break and how she had an abortion she didn't tell him and i was like okay well this is a lot more gray and he wasn't he wasn't as much as a dick as i thought and again people were like yeah i like this story because i know people like that this isn't trying to white you know turn this guy into prince charming at the end he is who he is and he's trying to do better now the funny thing about the is his main girlfriend the girlfriend he's having most of the drama with through the most of the movie a lot of the things she says constructively i agree with she's she says stuff to him like you didn't grow i agree you didn't you used to be a lot more optimistic now you're just stuck in the shop harsh things and you could say that she's a bitch and you know and i could understand his frustration with that because he can't find his way he feels stuck so i kind of like the fact i can see where they're both coming from which again i think is really great writing but again not trying to redeem this guy and by the end saying you're right i fucked up and you know the way they get back together even at the end when at the the, the um, his ex-girlfriend's funeral and then they end up having sex it doesn't seem right it seems off but you know what else it seems realistic mm-hmm. so by the end of the movie i'm like you know what this movie is really offbeat but there's there is a genuineness to this dislike to this guy to his actions the way he is people are like that i think too many movies of the time in the 90s and 2000s always portrayed romances in the you know there's a bad guy who mistreats his woman and then by the end the guy changes and realizes she's the one and he changed all of his ways and da 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 but this movie isn't like that which is more grounded and more realistic and i appreciate i do appreciate that and i feel like the movie ages more when you see it from that perspective and i don't know if you know a lot of people say yeah back in the day that's why i liked it and i i i I find i believe you james when you say you know you can relate to that but a lot of other guys i wonder is that really the case (laughs) but yeah like you said toxic mask i i'm surprised this movie hasn't been struck down for its toxic masculinity mistreatment of ladies i mean there's one point in the movie where he goes back to an ex who's like a manic depressive and he sleeps with her because it's a comfortable thing to do he kind of just uses her and i'm i'm thinking wow that should set off some red flags but i appreciate that it's kind of raw well he's he's doing something horrible and yes we're allowed to judge him on that but i think that the fact that he talks to us through the whole movie that he's talking to the camera that he's addressing the audience like he's treating us like we're a friend and that you know we can then start thinking about friends we know who have done stuff like that but we also start thinking about st- times when we've done stuff like that and you know i can look back on relationships and go oh man i was really in the wrong 
on that one or oh god i was a complete asshole that day and you know you can judge him only so much in that you know yeah he's done some bad things but everybody's done some bad things and i love that scene that you referenced where this horrible secret has come out that you know he cheated on his girlfriend she had an abortion and and the way that the girlfriend has told her friend played by joan cusack about this it it frames it in such a way that the you know all of this is like one thing and then john cusack goes okay this is what was happening yeah and this is my version of it it doesn't discount her version of it it's just like this is what i was going through in that moment and no it didn't quite exactly happen exactly the way she's saying it did but then you know when we break up with somebody and we're telling stories about you know they did this this one time i'm sure that you know i'm i'm sure there i've heard stories come back to me from that that exes have told about me and i'm like i never said that or did that or that's not the way that that happened but i bet that there's stories i tell about them that they would say the exact same thing so that's why i thought it was it was realistic and it was i related to this guy's insecurity i mean yeah. granted i was 20 he was probably in his early to mid 30s uh so he was his immaturity was more egregious than mine was but even now like the the scene where he finds out that his his girlfriend has moved in with this guy uh played by tim robbins <laughs> and the scene where he you know it starts showing like a really steamy sex scene between the, the girlfriend and tim robbins and john cusack is just lying in bed with the covers over his head and he, he just says no one in the history of the world has ever had better sex than the sex you're having right now in my head i instantly related to that because i have done that and it, and it's funny because he doesn't really seem all that upset until sex comes into play. Like, you know, when she finds out that Tim Robbins is, is in her life, the first thing he says is, are you sleeping with him? Not, are you two dating? Not, are you two in love? Are you sleeping with him? That's the only part that when you say that, you, get, you know, this movie shows you the mind of a man. That's the only part I'm like. Uh, don't compare me to him because even that he's meant to be like like his late 20s um, he's really immature because yeah to follow up on that point you're saying there's a point where they go to you know she's like not yet not yet then about two days later they go to dinner he asks um uh, again have you slept with him and then she's like basically i can't say no and he just flips the fuck out and what's what's fucked up is he'd already slept with somebody else yeah so you know he's mad at her and he's upset even though he's already he slept with lisa bonet before that so it's it's he's a complete hypocrite and he has no right to be angry technically technically they're not even together yeah but uh but yeah i i've known guys who reacted that way 100 i did uh, when i was much younger i just see him as an older guy like really i mean and again yeah. i'm looking at it now thinking is it really only about the sex like what about 
the, I, I'm like, this guy just seems so surface level. What about the time we spent with her? But he just seems so focused on, had we slept with him? Have we slept with him? So it's kind of like, I was disappointed. But looking back on it, I, again, I don't want to do a, like a character assassination of this guy because I understand very well this is meant to be a comedy as well. And you could say the childishness of that is played up for com comedic value because it is kind of funny how superficial he really is about certain things and how wound up he gets. It's, it's hilarious. Well, and if he was in his early 20s, I think you'd watch it as an audience and you'd go, well, yeah, of course he's immature. You know, it's the fact that he is way too old to behave this way. Yeah. And he is so stuck in this one kind of period of time in his life that he just can't seem to let go. And the fact that, you know, the everybody, the, the, the kids that come into his record store think he's just a grumpy old man. Yeah. Because that's what he's become, you know, and he's surrounded himself with these people who agree with him and he's not allowing himself to grow. Yeah, and I, I know we're talking about in a very serious way just because the focal character is an interesting person to analyze now. I honestly think he's a very interesting person to analyze, written in a very interesting way, especially because the word, one word that comes to mind is unapologetic now. When I think of mm. John Cusack's character, I think he's an unapologetic adolescent man-child who loves music. And He would have a YouTube show if this were made now. <laughs> And uh, but let me let's scoot aside to him just a little bit and talk about the rest of the cast again. His yeah. sisters in the movie, John Cusack, Lisa Bonet. Obviously, people say a star-making performance by Jack Black. I think that's debatable, just because every minute he's in it is great. But watching it again, I don't feel he has a lot of screen time. But the screen time he does have is phenomenal. Jack Black is a, such a great snob. In this movie, I actually thought it was more likable. He is an absolute fucking arsehole in this movie. Mm -hmm. But he's so funny, so much energy. And yeah, seeing Jack Black here is is great. He does such a great job. The other guy that works... does I don't know if that other guy works in the store or is a hangabout. He's kind of both. <laughs> yeah, the meek guy, he doesn't really say much. Tim Robbins is here as a, a special guest. Behind the scenes, apparently... Do you know why Tim Robbins is in this movie, by the way? Why he decided to be in this movie? Nope. If I told you, and guys research this, because maybe, maybe I hit my head when I read this online, but apparently he wanted to be in this movie because he wanted a special wig made for a different movie. <laughs> if he could wear this wig in the, in the, in the sea, he didn't mind, but... Apparently, it costs money and he was going to use it for another film. And because, obviously, Tim Robbins is such a serious actor, you know, the Shawshank Redemption, seeing him in this movie is like a just supposed. And you're just like, wow. And it's so funny. He's not in it for long. But just that scene of him and John Cusack and John Cusack having those fantasies of attacking him, it is mm -hmm. comedy gold. Oh, that yeah, that scene of the escalating fantasies. Yeah. Of, you know, at first it's just saying the right thing and throwing the guy out of the store and then it's just beating him to death and then it you know cuts back to him he's done nothing he's just sat there and taken it and he's been humiliated and yeah it, it's not a flattering portrayal but that's something that 
I have done. It's something that, like, guys do. They, you know, they, you have, and, and you know, again, the, the sort of, oh, it's toxic masculinity. It, no, it's masculinity. It's just a, a, a common thing that guys do. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the Jack Black character, it, it's funny because both him and the more meek character, whose name is uh, Dick, they're what John Cusack could become if he doesn't change his ways. You know, he could become Jack Black. He could just become this giant asshole who's rude to everybody. and Or he could just kind of roll over and let everybody walk all over him the way that, that Dick does. But even by the end of the movie, those two have some growth. Yeah. And um, they don't really change who they are. And that's, again, one of the things, like you said, I appreciate about this movie is that other romantic comedies would have handled this where John Cusack would have sold all of his records. Yep. And he would have just, you know, he would have changed completely and become whoever it was that his girlfriend wanted him to be. And instead, the movie says, this is who he is. I don't think we would ever really, you know, that film with Seth Rogen and, um, that other lady from Grey's Anatomy knocked up. Oh, yeah. That's essentially what happens in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a man-child, then he changed his ways because he's got his girlfriend pregnant and that stuff. I don't think we'll ever discuss that as part of this uh, Woody no. adjacent <laughs> stuff. But again, that's just an example of, of what you're saying right there. Did you ever see the two movies, um, the Ted movies, the Seth MacFarlane movies, where he plays a t- talking teddy bear? Yeah, yeah there was two yeah. of them? There were two of them. Oh my god, I only remember one. <laughs> if you watch the first one, yeah, I did. I did. Mark Wahlberg is, you know, his girlfriend is telling him the entire movie, you you're immature and you need to change and you need to become the man that I need you to be. And so by the end of the movie, that's what happens. And then the second movie, he's divorced her and she's basically made out to be like a, a like, yeah, she was never right for you, man. She didn't want you to be yourself. And then he, by the end of that movie, meets somebody he can be himself with. So it was like just in that little short span of time, I feel like Seth MacFarlane went, no, I did Mark Wahlberg dirty in that first movie. <laughs> I need to make this right. Wow. I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> I didn't watch Ted 2, but this is it's all relative, man. That's that's a that's a really great point. Again, movies I don't think we're going to be talking about on the show. <laughs> yeah, but... definitely, definitely. Now, I want to talk about a frustration a big frustration I have with this movie, which you might be surprised about, actually. I'm very frustrated about one element of this movie. Now, to elaborate more on that, I'm going to play a clip with the author about a year after the movie was made. Nick Hornby did a um, one of those American Saturday late night shows and they were talking to him. And there's something he brought up about the making of this movie that really, I found out after watching the movie and it really, really irritates me, and I'll explain more. So let's have a listen to this little interview. All right, everybody, we are back. My next guest is the author of High Fidelity, About a Boy and Fever Pitch. His latest book is called How to Be Good. Please welcome Nick Hornby. Thank you for being here. You know, you wrote this book. You write this book, High Fidelity. Great book. They turned it into a movie. I thought one of the best movies that year. I love that movie. Were you surprised that they turned it into a film? Did you know did you, when you wrote it? Did you think this could be a film? Well, this is a this is a book that's set inside a guy's head inside a record store. I mean, it doesn't really define cinematic, 
Right. Uh, and you don't think Schwarzenegger, the minute you, you hear about <laughs> this book. I mean, the, the, the narrative climax of this book, somebody makes somebody else a tape. <laughs> That's right, it. Right, right, right. I mean, it was, really wasn't written with one eye on the film rights. Like, right. There's no that. Jackie Chan fight sequence anywhere yeah, in there. I was tempted, and then they came out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when the film gets made, were you involved? I mean, did you hang out on the set? Were you actually there when they were filming? Well, uh, I, I went to Chicago for a couple of days and, and saw them there. But mostly, I, I hung out with them during the editing, um, because they edited in London. Mm -hmm. and. Um, and I, I went to see it too many times then. Um, they have this thing, I think, film people, that um, any slight, the slightest change, and they think it's a different movie. And they kept phoning up and saying, we've taken a minute out, you've got to come down, it's a completely different story. And you think, right. what, what's this, a film about a whale? You know, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, what did they change it into? And you get there and, and, and it's 30 seconds shorter and you don't notice any difference whatsoever. Yeah. That's one of my biggest gripes. I could not believe. Do you know how much extra footage they cut out of the movie, the theatrical cut? Mm -mm. I've seen about 30 minutes worth of extra scenes that are absolutely fucking hilarious. Wow. And I really think it kind of does a disservice to the movie because just, well, he was complaining then, oh, they, they only cut out a minute, it changes... The, the tone, that's what they say. And I disagree with him completely. The clips I watched, that I'll bring up one in particular, and I will just tell you what happens. And you tell me if this is, doesn't make this movie like, all right, maybe I'm speaking for myself. I think this makes the movie infinitely funnier. So there's a scene they cut out of the movie where he's hiring a female employee to work at the record store. And he's asking her, or she's asking him about his top five albums. And he can't make up his mind. So she tells him her top five albums. And while she's telling him, he keeps on like interrupting her. Oh yeah, but you know, and then she has no fucking idea what he's talking about because he's such a movie snob, right? Ooh. So while she's telling him her five, he's telling her his five and he can't make up his mind about his five. So the scene goes on and on and on. And this movie shows how much of a music nerd he is, which is a, a big part of the movie we haven't spoken about yet. We'll get to it, the music. So the scene ends. He goes home to his ex-girlfriend, the woman he's having problems with through the whole movie. And he's talking about this woman. I was trying to hide this woman. And, you know, she asked me my top five. I couldn't believe the nerve of her. And they're both laughing about it. And he's so neurotic. He's like, fuck. He runs out in the street, calls her on the phone, middle of the night you know what i'm doing it again here's my top five da, 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 da. middle of the night he's calling her screaming and i'm like this is fucking hilarious why did they cut this out of the movie now again they might have thought oh you know the focus of the movie is about the relationship but the thing about this being a romantic comedy i don't feel this movie is as funny as it thinks it is personally like re-watching it again I was laughing at him being a curmudgeon and there was, in my opinion, a lot of dark humour here. But I think a lot of the comedy comes through of how much of a nerd he is. Jack Black steals the show with that, 100%. Yeah. But John Cusack's character, I mean, the movie, the the five, uh, the top five motif isn't used as much here as I thought it was in my memory. He throws it out there, don't get me wrong, but it seems very muddled. But the scenes they took out really focuses and there's a lot of them check them out on youtube guys there's a lot of them where they focus on the music the stuff so i'm really surprised that 
and again i guess i didn't maybe there is a longer director's cut but the music in this movie is cool sounds great seems a little bit and this is where when we get to the tv series i might feel is superior in terms of the range of music just the range of music but the musically i think the movie's cool especially again going back to the 90s and again john cusack's character is very knowledgeable same as jack black's but musically um i the movie felt a bit stunted to me and i felt like in the the, the series they just made they kind of went with it a lot more with the music side of it but i know a lot of people are going to be like you're fucking wrong how could you say that that's sacrilege the music was the best part but i don't know james how do you feel about that i, I don't think you're wrong i think that the you know the, the difference is you've got a, a movie that's two hours compared to a tv show that's five true and true. um you know they're going to have a chance to explore things a little bit more than the movie did um i think i remember that scene that you just described i think it was in the book because i remember that scene i don't remember it in the movie but i remember yeah they cut it out of the movie so i think it was in the book but yeah the the comedy mostly come like the the really laugh out loud stuff comes from jack black um with john cusack it's more it's it's John Cusack kind of doing what John Cusack does mm. and that I don't think any other actor can do. Like if you swapped him out in this movie with somebody else, there's an intelligence to John Cusack that you can believe that he is this person who who is very knowledgeable about this one thing and how because he's knowledgeable about that one thing he's so self-centered he would think that one thing is the most important thing in the world yeah the music in it i mean it's a it's a great soundtrack but you know it, it's the music is always just sort of in the background instead of being kind of in the focus the way that the show is able to do a little bit a little bit better yeah and i know that you know that's one of the most appreciated things about this movie and you know for all if we go back in 2000s maybe this movie, you know, was focused more on the music scene more than any other before it. So, you know, it very well could have been that movie of its time. Just in context, again, when we're doing this in the future now, it was 20 years later, we've seen so many other movies where music plays a key part. Um, when I think of High Fidelity, the music plays second fiddle to me, you know? And apparently that was a big selling part of the... It is part of his life and he does use it a lot, but... I, I remember it being a lot more uh, I think I hear people pronouncing this is a music movie, a music lovers movie and watching it again I didn't get that as much I got the character traits, I got the the personalities and the setting and the romance the awkward, oddball stuff more than the music but I think as a package High Fidelity is a good it's a good movie. I think it's a fun movie. Rewatching it again, as I say, the more I think about it and reading other people's perspectives and how they mention things, I'm like, you know what, you're right. This is an unapologetic movie about a stunted person who who sees himself as a victim, but his story, you know, he sees the story in a in a shade that isn't reality per se. And as he goes back and goes over it, he even realizes that, wait a minute, actually, this isn't the reality I remember. And again he does affect some change you know not the movie change we usually see in these rom-coms 
but a more grounded and a change that a lot of people appreciated and related to. So, you know, that that is why I understand why this movie is so beloved. I clearly do. And the acting's great. Very great time capsule movie. And um, I will, before we even, I'll let you finish off your thoughts on this. But I would honestly say, now that I've seen the movie again, before they made the series, I actually wouldn't have minded the proposal of a series after watching it now. I would actually wonder what that would be like. So I'm glad they remade the series. I'm glad they made this into a series because I do feel like this is a, the premise and the character is something you can lift and put in a different generation. And I'll talk more about that when we talk about the series. But James, I'll let you finish off your initial thoughts about the movie as well. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a movie that I don't revisit as much as I used to. Because, you know, I think when you're kind of, when you can relate to the character better, then you appreciate the movie more. Whereas I don't really relate to the John Cusack character as much anymore. But at the same time, it does remind me of that time. And it, it, it I'm, I'm, you know, hear him say certain things and I'm taking immediately back to what it was like to be that age and to be that neurotic and to be that insecure and to be that obsessed with certain things. I mean, for me, it, would, it wouldn't have been music as much as it would have been movies. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a movie that um, I've recommended to so many people over the years because it just, it, it takes you to some dark places, but in the end, it does manage to be hopeful. And it, it could have gone into a, a different direction, and it did in the show. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I much prefer the sort of kind of happier ending that the, the movie has. Thank you, James, because I was the last thing I needed, I would have kicked myself when they didn't say this. The female character, the female girlfriend who's at the main crux of this, the movie, the story. Do you know one thing I came to realize by the end of the movie? When they kind of got back together and started to spend more time together and reconcile the second half of the movie, I really started to see their chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see her as a victim. And I think this is the problem with the first half of the movie. I didn't really get to see their relationship, the good times as much. But when they were actually together at the second half and then they reconciled the last 10 or 20 minutes, I can see why they lasted so long. They were together for years and I can see why his heart was broken more and I can see why she gets him. He's a fucking neurotic asshole. But there was times, even when they got back together at the end, when they were living together again, he was still being a prick. But she was, it was rolling off her back and I'm like, wow, this is what they're like when they're together. It works. And I find, and that actually made me like the movie a lot more because I realised... I'd never got to see this couple together until now, and it makes sense to me. He's the she's not just some damsel woman that'll forgive him, even though it's an asshole. He was as I started to believe what she was saying about how he changed and you know mm. he was there for at the end, and that really won me over. And at the very end, when he had that horrible proposal, yeah. even the way she accepted it was charming. I was like, these two are really off, but I can mm -hmm. see how they're together, and that really made me like the movie at the i believed them and i have to tell you if i didn't believe they would work at the end i would have just said i don't really have 
this movie doesn't feel very genuine to me. But these two characters at the very end, which again, I could criticize the movie saying they could have done better to show that chemistry. But at the very end, it made me enjoy the movie because I could see kind of what they were fighting for by the end of the movie. And you know, I, I kind of appreciate that they did it that way because he doesn't know why they work. He's trying to figure out the whole time. So the fact that we don't know why they work together, why is she so special? Because, you know, I mean, again, another thing that has happened to me before, I've seen it happen to a lot of my guy friends before, is that you break up with somebody and you really should be broken up, but you are you can't let it go. You're kind of like... No, she's the one. It's like, really? Because she drove you crazy and you hated her guts. And now suddenly you're broken up and you think you two should be together. And you could see that that's what he was doing with some of his other top five. And this one, it was somebody who was right for him. He just couldn't see it and he couldn't see why. And so the fact that we kind of learn it at the same time he does. Yeah. Uh, I think is was a very smart choice to make. Yeah. And although that proposal was terrible... It was very, it was very genuine to his personality, which I really like that scene because I'm like, this does feel very authentic to his character. So again, we'll have to give Nick Hornby a lot of props for that. And um, yeah, the, uh, I keep saying the last thing I'm going to say, but again, the original book was set in London. I would, I still would be interested to see a British version of this, just because I feel that he's such a curmudgeon, waspy type character. I think that lends so much better to a British sense of humour. But seeing this American version twice is good. So I'll be interested to see a British version of this. I know people will be like, two's enough. But, you know. <laughs> Some would say more than enough. but <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. All right. So let's, you know what? I didn't even, you know, I'm, I was going to play the trailer for the first movie, but let's not do that. Why don't we just move on? to the second 2020 remake high fidelity let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about it this is the one featuring zoe kravitz i ran into my ex last night so how was it you know seeing him you know that scene at the end of braveheart where they rip all his entrails out and he's like freedom but it's like a positive thing you know because he like inspired his people or whatever yeah like that but without the silver lining bit of everything punk electronic hip-hop rock to put our loud yelp review decently curated cuts unpretentious location owner's a little rude two and a half stars you guys have a bathroom if i let you go i gotta let everybody else go to the bathroom and i can't do that but i'm the only one here <laughs> You know that you do this after every relationship? Do what? No offense, but you tend to overthink things a little. Your ex moved back to New York. It's cool he's back in town. We were both so whatever about that Lily girl. What? Lily girl! Uh, I think I tend to think about things the exact right amount. Thank you. It's High Fidelity 2020. Um, let me start by saying, when I saw the trailer for this, I will hold my hands up. I thought to myself, this is going to be a woke, you know, uh, me too, time's up, reimagining, putting men in their place. Mm -hmm. I was not looking forward to this. To be honest with you, 
I completely shrugged off the series for a while, but when you brought up Let's Do High Fidelity, I thought, might as well just uh, watch the series. And I can honestly say I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw. Doesn't mean I don't have criticism, but I have to say I'm impressed with the series. But once again, James, I'm going to let you go first because you are the resident High Fidelity fan. What do you feel about this uh, TV series? You know, I just watched the show and I can't tell you hardly anything about it. <laughs> what do you mean? You, you don't see an identity? What, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I've forgotten most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't awful. And I actually was the opposite of you. When I saw the trailer for this, I thought, this could be really interesting because the same way that it sort of got at like the underbelly of what it's like to be a guy, this will do the same thing, but with women. And that'll be really interesting to see. And then within the first five minutes of the show, I'm like, this dialogue is verbatim from the movie. It's, it's word for fucking word, the same dialogue mm. from the movie. Mm. And I'm the first episode, the more I'm watching it, the more I'm just thinking, are they going to change anything about Rob? Are they going to like acknowledge the fact that this is a woman and not a man? And, and are they going to address that there would be some sort of a difference that she would react differently to certain things or that? No, no, she's just John Cusack. And once that kind of sank in, I just was like, Oh God. Mm. I mean, we'll get more into like why and what the difference is, but here's my main gripe. Okay. You could do this character. You could do Rob as a woman and have it work and have it be believable. But the thing is, John Cusack was not Brad Pitt. If you put Brad Pitt in the original High Fidelity, it doesn't work. Zoe Kravitz is hot as shit. And... I don't believe that this woman is having these problems. If you had gotten somebody who was not as attractive, then I could maybe believe it. But, and I'm not saying like you get like the woman who was in the, played her coworker or anything, but just somebody who, you know, Rob was, Rob was a nerd. He wasn't a heartthrob. He wasn't like the hottest guy in the room. He was a, he was this music geek. And I look at her and I just think, this is wrong. This, this, if you'd gotten somebody a little bit heavier, maybe, maybe somebody who wears glasses, somebody who's not quite as hip. Rob wasn't hip. He thought he was hip, but he wasn't the coolest guy in the club. He wasn't, you know, the, the guy that all the women would flock around. And I just never believed Zoe Kravitz in this role. And I didn't think that she... She doesn't, you know, you, you hear her saying the same dialogue that John Cusack said. John Cusack is a funny guy. Zoe Kravitz is not as funny. So that same exact dialogue coming out of her mouth, all I could do was compare it to John Cusack. And it didn't work for me. I can't blame you. I do. I was surprised that they decided to take the key moments from the movie and just redo them verbatim, which is, again, I was disappointed here's the thing you can execute the same jokes right it can be done but this time it just didn't work they did it too much 
they it just seemed like a crutch that it's like when you're trying to f- force something through a shape hole that doesn't fit it's like you don't have to do this it, you don't have it felt like they felt like they had to take those lines out like they said that in the book they said that in the movie do that it's a shame because like you said it doesn't feel natural because there are a lot of times where again it's not the same but they do take key parts that are the same so when the movie when the series is doing its own thing it just seems more natural seems to flow better whenever it's copying and taking those scenes from the movie it's just like oh god really guys you have to do it like just in that clip i just played what lily girl you know yeah exactly it just seems like it doesn't seem it just seems contrived but when john cusack did it you bought it yeah you believe that that character would have that reaction because he probably wrote it you know he's, he was the original screenwriter on that movie as well so he probably adapted the the writing to make it make more sense which again is what they should do but again the the, the writers of the series are trying to placate to the fans obviously that's why they did those scene for scene shots which is disappointing i do agree with you again i don't i have a lot more praise to say but i agree with you i think it was a mistake to play the card so close to the chest especially when there's a two decade gap where it would be just better if you just go fresh in for the new audience rather than getting the stragglers that already have the book and the movie you know just do your own thing but in saying that i I think people would have still been upset even if they try to do their own thing completely as well you know i i hate to bring this up because this is you bring this up and it, it's a hot button thing but i'm gonna just for a second compare this to the ghostbusters remake that's fine the biggest problem with the ghostbusters remake was that they called themselves ghostbusters if they had made their own movie and set up their own mythology and set up their own uh uh something that was yeah you'd say it's, you'd have people say, oh, they're hunting ghosts. That means this is a Ghostbusters ripoff. But the fact that they called themselves Ghostbusters, the fact that they use the iconography, the fact that they, you know, have some of the same beats from the original movie, that was always the stuff that people were complaining about that stuck out so bad. And to me, whenever this movie or whenever this show was its own thing, it got more interesting. As soon as it got back into the territory of the John Cusack movie, it immediately, it completely didn't work for me at that point. Mm. And this could have been something interesting. It wouldn't have been called High Fidelity. It wouldn't have had exactly the same kind of beats to it. But you could have done something a lot more interesting that was, it just feels like it. they, they, took, the care, they took the movie and they said, okay, well, what happens if we put a woman in the lead role? then they just didn't answer that question. They just put a woman in that lead role and they had her act like the same kind of curmudgeon that John Cusack was, the same kind of music geek that John Cusack was. And I never felt like this was getting into the mind of what a woman, how a woman would react to this stuff. It just felt like, well, this is how he reacted to it in the movie, so this is how she has to react to it. And that's to me the the biggest misstep in all of this is not that you know they couldn't tell this story with a woman but that i felt like they didn't tell this story with a woman i think i partly disagree i think 
you are right where it doesn't feel like it's hmm. i wouldn't look uh, let me say this to start if this wasn't called high fidelity i wouldn't watch it because to be honest with you james there's a myriad of tv shows about young people in brooklyn or chicago listening to music and having love those shows are a dime a dozen honestly if it did not have high fidelity on its title i would never got made and i wouldn't watch it i would not watch it that to me that was the catch now saying that i was prepared for some woke stuff and all that but like you said watching it i was surprised that this wasn't even i know we're gonna get criticized how can you say it wasn't feminine how do you know what a woman this is where we sound like we're mansplaining, so I have to be careful. Uh-huh. But I'm, again, I'm going to say my opinion. I agree with you, but I feel like this character doesn't actually feel too feminine. I actually feel like this Rob is a lot more easy to digest, not as waspish as John Cusack's character. And because of that, I felt like the character was more wishy-washy, Ooh. way more tepid. Then John Cusack, John Cusack, I knew where it was coming from. You know, he was a man-child, somewhat aggressive, snobbish. This one was a, a lot more easygoing, still an arsehole, but more confused and in a daze and more drowning in her own depression, which was yeah. interesting to watch. Now, because of that, the music took over more in this, in this um, series. The music takes center stage, even more than the characters to me. They play all genres of music, which I found a lot more entertaining, but it took away from the characters, to be honest with you. I'm saying that her, the other two characters in the shop, Sharice and Simon, Sharice is the big black lady who's a musician as well. I could, I don't want to call her the Jack Black standing because I think they're different enough, but yeah. she is trying to be the boisterous life of the party but she's got that black woman swagger, which is I cool. was afraid she was going, when she first comes into the shop and they recreate Jack Black's first scene, I was like, oh no. But she she became her own character. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a little bit undeveloped as it went on. Like that gag of her being an uh, artist, a secretive artist for too long until the end was annoying, to be mm. perfect. I think they should have got rid of that halfway through. But her other worker, Simon, who is actually her ex-boyfriend, that was a really good character. Mm-hmm. I was really, he was gay as well, which mm-hmm. gave us that perspective. He had his own episode, which yeah. is one of the best episodes of the whole series. I was so fascinated by how the episode went, especially when the top five, spoiler, ended up to be the same person. That was such a great round and round and round and round thing. And again, like you said, I have to give you credit for what you said, which is 100% true. This had... 10 episodes, nearly, you know, what was that? Five hours to do his job where John Cusack had an hour and a half, two hours. So it's not fair. They developed the characters a lot more. Characters had more screen time. But Rob, getting back to Rob, her character is just so wishy-washy. Yeah. To the point where near the end, then they kind of executed the asshole. They actually revealed more about her and why her relationship with her main guy didn't work out again but in this series i felt like they made her way more of an asshole than rob in uh in uh, john cusack because john cusack is more situational it wasn't so aggressive her she just seems like she can't commit and she does really fucked up things because of it and she fucks over people consistently through the series 
but she's got a heart of gold. So mm-hmm. I felt like the things they changed here was odd because they made her more of an asshole in the, when it really comes to the relationships, but easier to digest as a viewer, which I thought was a weird change. Yeah. I, I feel like this, this should have been the kind of thing where, like, it, it might have worked better for me if I was sitting there watching it with my girlfriend and she didn't watch this with me. She had no interest. <laughs> but if I had been watching it with her, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I don't get it. Why is Rob doing this? I don't get it. Why is she upset? I don't get it. And then I look over at her and she's crying. Or I look over at her and she's laughing. And I realize, oh, she gets it. Hmm. This I'm not getting it because this is getting into that, the mind of a, a woman in a way that maybe I can't fully understand. I would have liked it better. Whereas this, I just felt like, you know, with the the thing too is you're right. He, she comes off as more of an asshole, but that's partly I think because John Cusack can play kind of the lovable curmudgeon. That's kind of his shtick. That's kind of what he does. And with her, it's just sort of like I'm watching her going. By the end of the show, it ends up very differently for her than it does for him. And I got it. I was like, I think the writers even got to a point where we're like, we don't know how she ends up with anybody, so we're just gonna. It's, we're, we're not going to try. Well, funny you should say that. You do know this was meant to be an ongoing series that got cancelled, right? Yeah. So I think they were leaving it open for season two, which I'll be honest with you, I'm disappointed because I actually want to see more development from her and I want to see where they were going with it because the relationship she was having with the guy that she ended up having one night stand with that was starting to develop. Mm-hmm. You know, I would want to see where that goes. But I found this series to be an easy watch. I thought it was pleasant. I thought the music was good. Cinematography its a beautifully shot. But it was kind of maybe too easy going. Like, there wasn't a drive. It just felt like I was hanging out at the record store. Where mm-hmm. I was a little bit more engrossed and annoyed by the movie. But uh, for some reason, that drew me in more. In a way... I like them both the same for opposite reasons. But you can argue with, I mean, anyone could argue with me, honestly, why one is better than the other, where I think they both have pros and cons. The thing that interested me the most about this, and this is where we want to bring in the Woody Allen connection, Ooh. is the writer. Now, when the um, series, this second, this um, adaption series for 2020 was being released, I actually didn't know much about the writer. I know people loved his first book. I didn't know he wrote over 10 books. He's a well-acclaimed writer. He's a screenwriter. He's done so many, you know, he's been in Hollywood. He's an author. You know, he's very well-loved. But in recent years, he's been called a SJW. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when people saw this, oh, it's our woman. And it's, you know, all this diversity, perfect time, Me Too movement. Now, you know, Nick Hornby's doing this female version of fucking high fidelity this guy's a fucking sjw and i don't want to watch it no more so i found a clip you just put nick hornby uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for not sj yeah actually nick hornby sjw and the oh. first thing that'll come up is why uh the high fidelity series didn't need to be made but let me let me play this clip where nick hornby and this is not really this is him talking about his most recent book and the YouTube comments were a bit were a lot of people like him, but a lot of people are saying he's just a social justice warrior now. 
he's so woke now he's just trying to appease for diversity and he talks about high fidelity at the end but again i'll relate this to woody allen in a moment let's have a listen Today, we have the privilege of chatting with you about your new novel, Just Like You, which is your 19th book. It's a modern love story mm -hmm. with a younger working class black man, an older middle class white woman. And I have to say, the age gap is not insignificant between them. And their romance is unfolding with the backdrop of the EU referendum. Yeah. I'd love to know more about why you chose those characters as your protagonists. The idea of the couple came from observing um, a very warm relationship in a shop, one person behind the counter, the other person the customer, and those class differences and age differences were there. And I just started to think about all the things that would stop them ever from getting together. She's got a degree and he hasn't, and he's young and she's older. But then I started to wonder how much of these were constructs. One of the things that attracted me to writing about Brexit in Just Like You is that I was writing about people's confusion and how all of us were lured way out of our comfort zones to get very angry about things we didn't understand. My favourite part of the book was Joseph's bluntness, especially when he was faced with questions that were well-intentioned, but ultimately ignorant. As somebody who's mixed race, I have had questions like that before. It seems like an innocent question, but if you respond bluntly, as Joseph does, they kind of scramble and try and make it not about race, when ultimately that is what it is about. But I was just wondering, as a white man, how you managed to represent it in a way that I, as somebody who is mixed race, can identify with it. First of all, I'm just really pleased that you did identify. All I can say is that I did what I have to do in all of my writing, which is think very, very, very hard about what it must be like to be somebody who is not you. I wouldn't say I've done it all my career because my first two books were about men like me. Fever Pitch was about me and High Fidelity was about a man like me. I live in a very multicultural community and I don't think I can write about my community unless I write about people who are different from me. And he said a lot of the same things when he was talking about remaking High Fidelity. He wants to be more diverse and you can imagine the backlash he got from mm. saying stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and... You know, I don't, when Woody Allen, when he started to write more in the 80s and 90s, he, he, and actually, Nick Hornby said this, he found he finds a woman's perspective a lot more interesting, which is something yeah. Woody Allen has said over the years. He's focused more on female characters. So it's interesting, the more authors write, obviously not all, some people just stick to what they play with, but Nick Hornby's been a proponent, an activist, and even, you know, someone who champions this stuff now, but he's been slammed for it as well. Regarding High Fidelity, I think his heart is in the right place. I never mentioned this when we spoke about the movie. Yeah, they, I, I think I only saw like one black guy or two black guys in High Fidelity. You know, mm -hmm. did I feel, you know, I was more used to that, seeing that in the 2090s, you know. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I watched this High Fidelity TV series, it's cool. We got a gay guy, we got a black girl, two black girls. You know, it's mm -hmm. really cool to see that diversity and we love, it's awesome to see he wants to represent that. And I don't want to harp him in for that because I do think his heart's in the right place, but I I can also see where people just feel like he's pandering. 
I don't know if you felt that way watching this series. Well, it's interesting. When I saw the trailer for it, like I said, I thought, oh, what a good idea to tell this story from a woman's point of view. And it honestly didn't ever occur to me until watching the first episode. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a, not only it's a woman's perspective, it's a woman of color. That just didn't, I didn't even occur to me. And, the, you know, the fact that it was a woman of color, I felt like that had no bearing on what the story was. You know, like I said, when I judge what this could have been, it's more of, I wish it had been more of a genuine woman's perspective than than just retreading what happened in the movie. But there's some stuff where I was actually surprised that it wasn't more woke. Like the the fact that, you know, she had been dating the, the character, the Simon character that works in her shop and then discovered that he was gay. And there's a part where, you know, it's a flashback and he just looks at her and goes, well, I guess I'm gay now. And I thought, really? In 2020? That's like, can't you? Well, I don't know what I, maybe I'm gay. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm bisexual. Maybe I'm pansexual. Maybe I'm gender fluid. Maybe I'm, you know, I was surprised that they just went, oh, he's gay. He's, he's just gay. But the, the fact that the character of Rob, one of her top five is a woman, you know, I don't know if some people pointed at that and said, oh, see, that's woke bullshit. I just looked at that and I went, yeah, no, that seems like I can see that, that, hmm. you know, that's a, that's an interesting kind of perspective to take. Um, I don't know. I feel like Nick Hornby, I, I give him some credit there because, you know, as a writer myself, th- one of the things that I struggle with now is I sit there and I try to, you know, I come across a, a, a writing a new character and I'm like, okay, do I make this character white? Do I make this character black? Do I make this character a woman? Do I make this character a man? If I write a, a character who's black, are people going to say I have no right to tell that story? Mm-hmm. If I write a character who's white, are they going to say I'm not, not diverse enough? Mm-hmm. So the fact that he is, he's just said, I'm going to try. I'm looking around my community and I'm going to try and tell the story uh, you know in a diverse way because that's the community I'm surrounded by that's great I think that he is a 64 year old man (laughs) (laughs) and he does not it just like with Woody Allen you know our big criticism of rainy day in New York was these kids would not speak this way these kids would not act this way these kids you know uh, Timothy Charlemagne is is supposed to be like 18 years old and he, he talks like an 84 year old man. So uh, there's a little bit of he's taken a risk there of trying to not just trying to like tell another perspective. I think that's perfectly fine. You know, if you write if you want to write a character and it's like, well, I think this character would be black. That's the way that the character should be. I always like to write characters. You know, I, I get an immediate sense of what I want to do and sometimes I don't even care I mean there's been plenty of times where I've written a character and the fact that they're black or gay or whatever is completely incidental it's never brought up if you center on those things if you make the story about those things I think you start to get into territory where you're preaching you're maybe alienating some people there's some people who maybe aren't as progressive they're trying but they haven't quite gotten exactly to where you're at now. And if you wag your finger at them, 
then they're going to they're going to tell you go fuck yourself and they're going to kind of close their minds i never got the feeling that this show did that there were a few i mean the fact that in that very first episode when again she's she's got a, a girlfriend in her top five uh and she's talking about why she wasn't right for this girl and one of the things was she says i wasn't white and i just thought oh where are they taking this and it's weird <laughs> that they're taking this in this direction with the lesbian relationship as opposed <laughs> to maybe one of the guys but yeah it never it never it never smacked me in the face with it oh, the way certain other things have where there's a show over here I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called uh, The Great North. No, I haven't. On, it's it's an animated show. They put it on with like Simpsons and Family Guy and it comes on around that same time. And that show is so woke that there are no jokes. The jokes are so tame and scared to offend that you know, my girlfriend likes to watch it and I just sit there like, oh my God. <laughs> This is this isn't funny. This is they're, <laughs> they're not allowing themselves to be funny, and I never got that feeling from High Fidelity. My big problem again was Zoe Kravitz just being, I think, completely miscast. She would have worked maybe as one of the exes, but as that main character, I just didn't believe her in that role. I think if you had gotten somebody a little bit more, like I said, a little bit more relatable to just the average everyday woman, the way that John Cusack was to the average everyday guy, I think it would have worked better. But I just never really believed that she would necessarily be having these problems in this way and that she would have turned out this way. I kind of agree and disagree. I mean, from just being superficial completely superficial i think she's a short skinny woman beautiful facially beautiful but i think she's a very short skinny woman that woman that i i i i think that enough that you know what to each his own because again we're just talking about taste now and if i start saying you know she's a big bum and a big booty then i could agree <laughs> with you you know what i mean i guess you know i just maybe just somebody who doesn't look like a model yeah, I would agree, but her personality was shit. Her personality wasn't very good, and, you know, I even have this scene which, again, I felt like she was drowning in her depression, which I didn't feel like in the movie. I really felt like John Cusack was, like, confused uh -huh. and not facing reality. Well, I felt like in this series, Zoe Kravitz's depression and emotion was kind of just drowning her out. I've already got this clip, so I'll play it because I thought I like this clip. I, you know what? I like Zoe Kravitz acting in this series a lot. What I don't like is when they force-fed her those original lines from the movie and forced her to be unnatural. It was a directing I didn't like for her. I think she could have done better. If you really think about it, there might have been some irony because her mum was in the original one, Lisa Bonet. Yeah. And I, I heard they missed the opportunity. They were thinking about making her the daughter of the one night stand between her and John, Cus her and John Cusack. So it would have made a bit more sense 20 years later. The timeline fits. It all kind of fits. Maybe they were hinting at that for season two. That would have, you know, you never know. I don't think so, though. Because you yeah. saw her mum, but not her dad. Yeah. 
you actually saw her. Actually, you're right, right? You never saw her dad. You saw her mum on the video call with her. So maybe yeah. that would have been a reveal for season two. I mean, it would have been quite a coincidence that the exact same stuff happened to her as happened to John Cusack in the first movie. But that would have been terrible, been, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you just found a massive plot hole. Mm-hmm. You just found a massive plot hole. Like, wow, you really are my daughter. You literally say the exact same things that I do. True, true. We'll never know. But let me yeah. play this last clip before we kind of wrap up about Rob from High Fidelity 2020 just drowning in her own depression. Why don't I feel better? Why do I never get any better? Why do all my relationships end with me feeling like this? Cam's right. I'm stuck in a dysfunctional fucking loop. Okay. What's wrong with me? Seriously. I need answers. I need to know. And that's when she starts going on the... Again, I... Even I just don't feel like her character would even go back for her last five. Yeah, it's the directing I had a big problem with 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 this. I just felt like they should have went in a new in a slightly new direction with this because the bones are there. It doesn't have to be. I don't think the high fidelity story is classic because of the the five album motif is cool and they use it a lot. It actually in this series series they use it even more than in the movie. They mm-hmm. use it for songs, they use it for movies, they use it for so many different things. So they definitely, uh, they just didn't need to rely on it so much. And it got cancelled. I don't know why. If I, I think the name recognition on a bigger network or a bigger um, streaming channel like Netflix might have made it work, but it came out in the pandemic. It came out on fucking Hulu. I mean, I didn't even know this. I, I thought this was three episodes, not ten. I just don't think Hulu was the right place for this anyway. I would have wanted the season two. I really would have. But, you know, because it was, it was really cool to hang out in this universe because the music was great. The characters were fun. The main character was tepid. But I liked hanging out in this universe again. And honestly, I will wrap up finally by saying I wouldn't mind watching another series, a different incarnation of this again in the future. Because I do feel like, you know, music and heartbreak are common themes and it can be done again in a different city a different way i know it sounds like a weird franchise and it sounds weird but i i wouldn't mind the fact that they decided you know it's not chicago it's new york that was just one little piece of dialogue where i went it is oh i didn't even notice that it wasn't chicago but see the, that clip you played is it kind of demonstrates like what i'm what i'm trying to say is you know, Zoe Kravitz is sitting there and she's depressed. Why does this keep happening to me? Why why can't I fix this? Why do I am I why am I doomed to keep repeating those these same mistakes? And John Cusack plays it a little bit manic. He's like, Why does this happen to me? Why do I keep making these same mistakes? Why am I doomed to be you know? And that's funnier. It's funny because he's yeah. worked up. He's he's not depressed, he's not sulking, he's he's worked up. He's you know, he's he's trying to like figure this out and he's frustrated and with her it's just sort of 
she's kind of defeated and yep you know it it's there's nothing funny about that you're watching somebody who's now john cusack is depressed in that movie he's absolutely just as depressed as she is but the way he's handling it and maybe I'm, maybe this is the thing maybe this is where someone will tell me that well you're saying that you know they didn't make her react the way that a woman would react and this is how a woman would react well then that's not an interesting enough story and <laughs> you gotta you, you gotta tell the story that you gotta tell a different story in order to because this is supposed to be a comedy how dare you say that james how dare you <laughs> how dare you mansplain what what's interesting for a woman how dare you <laughs> I, i'm gonna say it again <laughs> This is, it's the problem that I, a lot of people point this out, but I like, if you take a story, whether it's High Fidelity or Ghostbusters or Ocean's Eleven or whatever, and you just, it's, it's a story that is, you know, a, a, told from a male point of view. And all you do is you just flip it and then you make it from a woman's point of view, but you don't really change anything. I always felt it was kind of condescending. It's sort of like, well, why don't you, why can't we have our own woman's story that doesn't have to be called high fidelity. It can be called something else and it can be, you know, uh, put some, some advertising behind it. The high fidelity was a big movie when it came out because they put some advertising behind it. They put, there was a push behind it. Now it's all about the brand recognition. So they called it high fidelity because if they didn't, nobody would watch it. But in doing so, all they've done is they've taken a, a story from a male point of view and put a woman in it. And <laughs> if you don't change some things, if you don't make it its own thing, um, and there's plenty of movies told from a, a, a woman's perspective that are entertaining and they're funny. I mean, I'm thinking of like Bridesmaids. It, you know, I don't think Bridesmaids bridesmaids is the funniest movie in the world but a lot of people do and a lot of those people are women because they relate to those characters better yeah and, and i i also like that tv series called girls that had uh laura is it laura dunham yeah i thought that's a great series as well yeah yeah and they you know those are stories that are a woman thought them up a woman created it a woman tells this story and it's not just like okay we've got this thing that a man created how can we kind of just put a, a female kind of facade over top of it and tell basically the same story, but from not from a woman's point of view, just with a woman in it. You know, like that, that first scene in the movie, it's him listening to music and it's like top five heartbreaks and everything. And it's, it's happening while his girlfriend is walking out on him. In this version, she's sitting there and she's crying. And yes, that does feel more like, yeah, that's probably more in line with what a woman would do. But then it's not funny. It's it's now very serious. And I could I felt like the show couldn't decide if it wanted to be high fidelity or if it wanted to be its own thing. And so it was just constantly switching back and forth. And when it was its own thing, like, you know, I, I don't remember the... the character's name but the woman who's basically the jack black Charisse, i think her name Charisse. something like that like i said that first scene i just saw that and i went oh god this is going to be painful because she's just going to be playing jack black and nobody can be jack black other than jack black 
but then they let her character become something else. And when they let her character become something else, she became interesting. Same with Simon. Same with Simon. He Same with Simon. Time. You know, when he got his own episode, I was like, oh, this is a breath of fresh air. I'm getting to see this perspective that's, it, it felt more, they had to create all of that. None of that came from the Nick Hornby book. None of that came from the movie. Yeah. And so it got to be its own thing. And when it gets to be its own thing, it has potential. Maybe that's why a season two would have been better because it would have gotten away from everything from the book and the movie. But yeah. as just sort of a remake of the movie, it just felt, it felt very bland. Like I said, I would, I'd be, you know, moving on to the next episode and I'm like, what are they talking about? When did that happen? And I'd have to go back. And I'm like, how did I not, was I not paying attention? I was probably on my phone because I didn't care. And mm. I just got really bored with it because whenever it would shift back to the Nick Hornby stuff, it just didn't work. I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with you. One thing you've pointed out to me that I didn't realize, which is very unfortunate that I really just had an epiphany about, is the High Fidelity TV series is not funny. Yeah. It's not funny. I never laughed. I don't find it. It's actually a drama. I would say that, that a clear drama. It's a very, very clear drama, which isn't a bad thing. But it's a shame because something is definitely lost there. Um, I mean, Sharice's character is probably the funniest, but even that's not really funny. She's just a bit, um, what's the sassy? She's yeah. really sassy. And but she also by the end of the episode, by the end of the show, she you're like, oh, there's there's the heart that the Jack Black character never had. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the that that very 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 end of the show, and I know that they intended to go on to a second season and everything, but. It ends with the same Stevie Wonder song that the movie ends with. And it's completely out of place with the way that the show ended as opposed to the way that the movie ended. And it's not earned. It's, you know, she, it, it, it just feels like, are, why are they trying to make this? This, this is, this is, feels relatively depressing. Yeah. And by the way, I have a confession to make. I didn't. I actually thought this was a limited series. I didn't think there was a second season even on the horizon. So when I originally saw that was the last episode, I thought to myself, "This is the end." Yeah. What? Because what she? I don't want to spoil. I'm not going to spoil what happens at the very end. But they again take something directly from the movie, mm-hmm. apply it to a different situation, and it's fucking off. Like, I would not believe she would do that in that situation. No. After everything she's been through. Verbatim the dialogue from the movie. Because they felt like, they felt like, oh, this is such a, like, a landing point for the movie. It's one of the best last lines. But the problem is, in the context of what she's going through in the story, mm-hmm. you know, I, w- I actually want to elaborate. Well, you know what? I will spoil it. Just I have to because yeah. it's really annoying that she had that little moment, that near moment with her ex-boyfriend, but then flip-flops and decides to go back to the one-night stand guy and he completely shoots her down, but then she basically begs him for a chance Mm -hmm. using that line from the movie and it's terrible. Well, I'll tell you something too. I was sitting there and that was the one moment where I got engaged with the show because when she's like, 
you know, maybe we can get back together and maybe we can work it out. Maybe what are, what are my chances? Like, you know, can you give me a number? And I literally said out loud, stay strong, dude. Don't go, don't go back to her. <laughs> she is awful and there is no reason for you to, and, and, you know, good on the show in that they didn't let her off the hook. You know, I was afraid there was a moment where he smiled and he's being slightly charmed by her. And I was afraid suddenly he would cave in and just forgive everything that she had done. That would mean, unlike the John Cusack character, she didn't really have to learn a lesson. I didn't believe she would do it to that extent because no, I just thought that that's just something to let people to watch season two because I think she's got too much pride to do that. She's been through a lot of shit in the last two episodes, a lot of emotional shit that she caused, and I just didn't think it would end on her begging. She had too much pride, but I'm going to, uh, you know, all right, now I'm going to... Now I'll say something that'll actually piss people off where I'm aware of it. She's hot. She wouldn't do that. <laughs> she would just go, well, I guess that didn't work out, but there's a yeah. line down the street of guys who would like to go out with me. And so I, I never believed that, you know, she would be so focused on uh, well, I guess I'll go back. I, this didn't work out with this guy, so I'll go back to this guy. It's like th this woman has endless possibilities as far as mates go. I agree with you, but even let me play devil's advocate. Even if she was going to try to win this guy back, I thought she would go home and like, I'm going to make this guy a tape. Something mm -hmm. fresh, something like that. Five, win your boyfriend back or win your lover back or something. That would have been like, oh, that's funny. That's cool. Y you know, but... Mm -hmm. To her, hear her use that same line and beg and, again, not believable because she's so beautiful and she's just been through such an emotional... For me, it's the emotional shit she went through with the ex and then to run back to the guy yeah. in that state, I just don't believe it at well, all. Well, and it's also kind of... And it, it, it is in the movie too, but it's pathetic. I mean, John Cusack is, you know, what are my chances? What are you? She says 9%. He goes... Okay. And you know, and it's this. But they were together moment, for years. They were together for years. Exactly. <laughs> they were together for years. This was the woman that he'd been trying to get back for the entire movie. Whereas she never really seemed like she was all that interested. Like this guy, it's like a one night stand. And then, well, maybe we could be friends. And then, hey, why don't you come with me to this thing? And she treated him like shit the entire time. And he had no reason to want to pursue this with her. And I didn't believe that she had any reason to want to pursue it with him other than, oh, he's he's a nice guy and he's, you know, I'm, I'm heartbroken that this didn't work out, so I'm going to go over here. And I just didn't ever believe that would happen yeah. with her. Agreed. Agreed. Now, I'm sorry, guys, to get in. The, sorry we had to get into the weeds of that, but sometimes I just can't help it. I, that, I couldn't, I didn't want to be vague about that. I know... Mm -hmm. A lot of you listening might not have watched the series, but it's a sticking point, especially yeah. since the series got cancelled. I just felt they bundled that a little bit. Even if they were trying to lead you onto season two, it just was a bit mishandled. But, you know, I don't know what to say. You know, you know what? Let me end on a positive. I thought the series was going to be a whole lot worse than it actually was. Yeah, it, it had the potential to be. That is it, man. The tale of two high fidelities and the book. Now you you are the true super fan. You've read the book. You've watched the movie. You've watched the series. 
you know, you've seen it all now. And I agree with you. I would like to see an adaptation that's set not only in England, but if they're going to do it that way, set it in the time, make it a period piece and set it in the time that it's, that the book is set. Ooh. Make a, make a genuine straight up adaptation. I don't want to make this conversation even longer, but I will just quickly say, Woody Allen having a hand at something like this. We know Woody Allen is a big music guy, but the time Woody was growing up, I don't know if like the record store, the hangout was this kind of thing. Even though he's a big music collector, you know, he's a musician himself. I would feel like it would be a very preppy movie. But as you've said yourself, he's always wanted to make like a music documentary as well. So um, Woody doing something like this would be a period piece, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what kind of period piece it would be, but he loves music. I think it would be an interesting movie. I would love to see Woody's interpretation of a movie of this kind, because everything Woody's done with music, I think Sweet and Lowdown was his last music-based film, and obviously yeah. every um, the musical he did as well. Woody does music good. I would be interested to see if he did anything like this. No, I, again, not like High Fidelity, but if he did yeah. another music-based project, I would love to see it. I, th I the reason I picked this was I felt like the John Cusack character is immature in the way that you would oftentimes see the Woody Allen character be immature. Yeah, just in a you know, different obsessions and different things like that. But I, like Woody's obsession in Annie Hall with, uh, with bleak foreign films and dragging Diane Keaton to those, and but then also talking to the audience and explaining to the audience why he's right. But then also, you know, in other parts going, this is where I wish that I had acted differently or something. That yeah. I always felt like this movie owed a lot to Woody Allen, but it it had that more rock and roll sensibility to it. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, James, I'm going to wrap this up. That was a much stronger conversation, but we spoke, to, we spoke about two big projects related to the same source material, so James, I put you on the, I kind of put you on the spot because you, I'm giving you one extra choice for our next movie for discussion. Have you made your choice for the next discussion? I have, and the next discussion will be the Meyerowitz stories, a movie from 2017, starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and Dustin Hoffman. Wow, an all-star cast. I'm really looking forward to seeing that and discussing that with you. And apparently that's on Netflix? It is, yeah. Cool. So there's no reason why our listeners cannot partake. So uh, guys, thank you for listening. James, if the people want to catch you, where can they find you? They can find me at manic-expression.com and my books are available on Amazon. They are available on Amazon. And as always, the link will be in the podcast description. You can find me at Planet Tyro. Don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel where you'll get the video versions all the links to all the things we speak about and yeah um guys we hope you're staying safe in these very very cold months we've got some warm discussions for you <laughs> subscribe and review the podcast on itunes we know it's a monthly podcast so you've got to wait a while we hope you've enjoyed this extra meaty long episode and we're gonna leave you um we're gonna love you and leave you actually we'll see you on the next recording guys Take care and see you later.